1: Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic intent and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening.
0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mitul Shah. Today I'm super excited to talk to Lucas Egger about the misconceptions about data science. This is a very special episode, you know, for us. At Sunny Side Up, we tend to have a lot of hosts or a lot of guests who are subject matter experts in sales and marketing. But we have been hearing a lot about, you know, data science and how it's you know disrupting sales and marketing domain and going forward. There are a lot of misconception about it. There are some realities around it. So we thought, why not to bring a subject matter expert to talk about that? And hence, I'm super excited to to discuss this topic with Lucas. Lucas uh, is the head of innovation office for SFP Spotlight team that works on topics like user behavior mining, user behavior targeting. Lucas is also a serial entrepreneur who has scaled multiple teams, both in Europe and in the US for B2B and B2C products. He's also written and published an amazing book called Fast Philosophy, and I'll, I'll let him uh, have him explain that uh, when I was having conversation before the show uh, with him. He had a very interesting way of explaining that. But these days, he focuses on product discovery in the context of machine learning. Lucas, super excited to have you. Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for the kind introduction.
0: So Lucas, before we get started, I'm very curious, you know, you're talking about this, this book and the idea behind fast philosophy. And what was the reason to, you know, for you and your co-author to write it? Um, I thought that was very fascinating. Do you mind explaining that to our, to our uh, listeners? What is the context behind it?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, just as a word of precaution, it has nothing to do with, with uh, AI or machine learning. Um, But I think, um, I was always fascinated um, in interesting ideas and understanding bigger like the bigger themes. And one of the things that really attracted me early on was philosophy, right? Because you have two and a half thousand years of of thinking very deeply about very uh, interesting uh, problems. And th- so Adam and myself, we wrote the book. Uh, we had the feeling that there are so many wonderful philosophy books. Um, that um, end up on a pile of shame. You know, all the books that you really want to read, uh, but you never get to them and they're looming large on the shelf. And so we decided to write the book, which is just a hundred little chapters where it's not so much about presenting, you know, like who was the person behind it and all the, the theoretical subtleties, but rather, look, this is a beautiful idea. And it might inspire you to think certain problems or things in your life and you to gain a new perspective. And I think that's also at the heart. And here I'm trying to circle back to machine learning. Um, we try to create new perspectives. We try to see something in you, um, make the things that are alien to us familiar and vice versa. And that's really at the heart of innovation and what has Um, To be honest, that has been the main motivation in my career for the last 10 years to uh, work on things that are complicated, but at the same time are beautiful. And so the book, even if it's in a completely different domain, is a natural extension. And as it tries to, um, I don't know, serve like a couple of beautiful ideas uh, where you can just look at them and say like, oh, that actually helped me and um, made me happy to see this in, in this light.
0: What what a fascinating combination a data scientist and a philosopher
1: very cool.
0: So Lucas, I think as as I mentioned in the intro, this is a bit of a special episode for us because uh, what we keep hearing, you know, in sales tech or martech, is this whole advent of AI, machine learning, data science, and how it's disrupting. You know this whole vertical and ecosystem, and there are a lot of misconception about it that it's going to take over people's sure. jobs and it's going to do stuff, you know, one hundred percent automatically. But it has come a long way from the inception to you know what it's able to do right now. So, as a subject matter expert, let's start with the basics. Maybe a definition of what, according to you, a machine learning or data science is, and uh, why that is important, especially when it. Put it to cell tech or martech.
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question. Thanks for asking. So, I, you know, if, if you search um, on the internet, like for definitions, you will get tons of of different definitions. But I think um, the easiest is to look at what is actually happening. So, for let's say the better part of the twentieth century, we realized. That we can create tremendous amounts of value if we digitalize processes right so um, we take something in the world and we create the digital twin and we work with the digital representation because it's faster it's because it's it's easy right but whenever you work with a computer and that's the old school and sorry not let's not say old school but that's the the historical way of of dealing with a computer is to tell the computer exactly how it should react in a given situation. If this happens, if the user pushes this button, then do that. So it ultimately, it boils down to a set of if this, then that kind of of rules, right? Um, And, you know, there's this quip that computers are like Old Testament gods Tons of rules and no mercy. And this is really, in a way, the sense of how computers have been programmed. Now, early on, there was an idea that maybe there's also a different paradigm how to work with computers. Um, But back then, in the 50s and 60s, we simply did not have the, well, the compute power, the algorithms, nor the data to really make good on this other idea. Now, the other idea is, that not a person from the inside out says, like, if this, then that, right? But rather you invert the, the way how you approach it and say, like, look, computer, like, this is all the historical, those are all the historical examples, how the problem has been solved. I, and I can show you the outcome. I can show you the input and I can show you the outcome. I don't know how it works. How about you figure it out? Now, a computer is really good in boring, tedious tasks. So essentially how you can think of it is instead of telling the computer for every eventuality, if this, then that, you give him like a large set of examples how it has been done. And then the computer infers general rules, not just one rule, but thousands or millions of rules and combines them. So he has a probabilistic understanding of the problem domain right and now why is that so fascinating or why is this like interesting so simply by the nature of if you have to break down everything into if this then that there's like tons of things you can easily solve right like um, from a sales lead automatically creating like an invoice or whatnot right you you have clear rules how this should work out if you want to, for instance, gauge whether there is a cat in a picture or you want to infer from an email whether there's interest of another person to buy your product, right? There's a lot of ambiguity. It's really hard to codify these things which are ambiguous or not really clear into hard rules. So machine learning, data science and all those terms are umbrella terms where We don't let the human decide every if this and then interaction, but rather serve examples to a machine and the machine programs itself with the data. And it's such an interesting and hyped up technology today, simply because for more than, let's say, 40 years, we had to predominantly only work with this one paradigm. And Now we have this great unlock where we have better algorithms, more data, and faster compute. So we can tackle problems that eluded us for, let's say, 30 years. And ambiguity, finding out whether there's, let's say, the simplest example, right? There's a cat in the picture. That those examples that cover like ambiguity are super valuable because in real life, very, very often, um, value is, is held in a place where it's not crystal clear, where you cannot come up with a, with a specific rule. So um, just to summarize, data science, machine learning, AI, deep learning, all those are like different terms for different techniques. The unifying principle is that instead of us having to define every interaction, we show the machine based on experiences which are codified in data what are the outcomes that we want to achieve and let it infer it for itself the rules. And that's essentially what machine learning is all about. And it's such a big change because we can now tackle problems that have eluded us for a long time, especially in the realm of ambiguity or uncertainty.
0: Very interesting. So in a nutshell, if I if I can give an example or summarize it, if I provide To machine learning algorithm or to some algorithm, you know, my previous deals that I've won, it can potentially tell me next set of companies I, I should
1: potentially go after. Absolutely. So for you, you will maybe already have an intuitive understanding, but with machine learning, you can put it to a test and let the machine analyze. Like what would be the most salient signals, for instance, for successful declosure in the future based on the inputs. Right. And then it will serve you an answer. And that is something which is currently being done, for instance. Right. And so right now, I think another like thing that's important to know about machine learning is it's not so much like one little technique. It's more of a paradigm. It's a paradigm where we say we want to take. This codified data and use it for ourselves, and so it's not that one application; it's more like changing how we do things in general. So when people say like how important will machine learning be in the future, AI, um, think of it as the electrification of our ages, just as in the early twentieth or in the nineteenth century, how electrification changed every aspect of the well industrial realm so will ai change um, how we deal with with processes and and questions in the business world
0: so why why there's so much misconception you know behind it why people like you know if you talk to any marketer you know today or seller this technology, data science, machine learning is technically helping them to do the job better, to do, you know, come up with better lead, better targeting, you know, better essentially in ROI or generating revenue. So why there is this, you know, misconception or aversion towards it that, you know, yeah, this is something not for me. This is, you know, you have to be techie to be able to do that. Um, you know, and, and what are some of the ways where you have seen this innovation going wrong?
1: Oh, absolutely. Wow. Those are really hard questions. (laughs) Um, Let's try to tackle them one by one. So I would say, so first of all, whenever you have like a really interesting new innovation, it becomes a canvas for the aspirations of like everyone, right? So everyone projects their hopes onto this technology and it, you know, it, it shoots up in the hype cycle. That's certainly one point of of why there are misconceptions about machine learning. The second thing is is it's a different paradigm, so you it's hard to explain it um like from within the, the the realm or the domain of in which you have worked already, so it's something new, it's like a paradigm shift right um and and it's yeah and i I also feel like that people um are not really doing a good job because they're focusing on the solutions on like the actual um, like products or like services that can be created. Whereas to, um, you know, educate about the bigger picture. And then there's another thing like, because this is all a bit vague, there's often, I don't know, like for instance, often data is portrayed as, as, as the oil of the 21st century. And I think there's like a good analogy in there because, you know, just like oil, data can be refined and it powers the machine of our economy. So there's worth to data. But then, you know, the, the, the devil is in the details. If oil spills, you can contain it or, you know, pump it back in. If data spills, you know, it's gone for good. Right. <laughs> and also the next thing is that um, just as an example, right. Oil, you you think of it as it holds value no matter what, and you can put it away, and it's almost like a treasure trove, right? Whereas data doesn't really work like that. Data is only the input that you can use to gain insights. And you have to use those insights and make them actionable. So just holding the data is more of a risk and a cost. And not already like by itself intrinsically something of worth. So, for instance, a better analogy would be not data is the new oil, but data is the new wind energy. Because as the wind blows, right, you have to use it and you have to power the machinery, your insights. You cannot just store it away easily and and be done with it. So there's there's tons of 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 those questions. I think for me now, like we talked about, like. The, the fate of every new innovation we talked about specifics in terms of like how it's being communicated i guess for me the biggest thing that i learned about ai and machine learning or innovation is that um the hardest is the hardest task is to then translate it into something real in the organization and right now it's being perceived as just something that's a technological innovation but really it 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 changes how businesses need to operate. And that means organizational changes, behavioral changes. And that's mostly things that, yeah, it's hard for people to swallow, right? That's the, the things that, yeah, that more easily go wrong, right? And um, yeah, it comes, so to speak, as a, as a, a, with a cost attached. It's not just this panacea, the silver bullet. Um, it just changes your business, and change is not always easy.
0: So do do you think anybody can potentially learn the skill if I'm even a marketer, if I'm not even a technologist, I can pick up this domain and and essentially learn from it and, and you know advance, you know, into it, or do you need specialized skill sets to be able to use, you know, data science, machine learning, AI to to get get value out of it?
1: Oh, that's a really great question. Um I think it's already happening that every one of us becomes more data literate because um, we used to conduct our businesses in the sense that the person with the most, I I guess, expertise or, you know, the, the silver back in the room or whoever, like, made decisions because on aesthetic considerations or their experience. And I feel like that every business now today is gravitating more and more towards data-driven decision-making. So more and more people will ask you, why are we doing this? Can we put a KPI behind it? Can we rationalize why we're doing things? So becoming a data scientist, when you talk about it, like often people have a narrow understanding of data science as, oh, are are you coding algorithms? Are you shuffling data from left to right? I think that's not everybody's cup of tea right not everyone would want to do that but i do think that everyone will want to change into a more kind of iterative learning experience what do i mean by that is that instead of just doing what the gut feeling tells us I think everyone will want to and have to say, Hey, I want to learn from experiences. I will put out tests. I believe we should do this, but I'm not just blindly going with an emotion. I'm putting KPIs up. I'm thinking about in advance, like how we can validate what I'm trying to achieve. And if I see that the data comes in and I get feedback from my customers, um, then um, yeah, I'm, I'm changing my course. So in a sense, I think your domain is, is way more in, in, in the sales uh, side of things, right? Uh, sales, to a certain extent, is already like data science in the sense that you try to learn from customers all the way, you course correct, because of the feedback you get, the experiences you make with customers. So um, if we reframe it like that, I think everyone should be a data scientist. And I think that um, it's, it's actually not that hard.
0: Very interesting. So the elephant in the room, right? I, I I hear this from many of the you know marketers and sellers that future of machine learning and AI and has been fed to them the way it's been talked about is that it's going to replace them, right? It's mm-hmm. going to take over their role and it'll do all of these activities what they're doing it on its own.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it true? Oh, I I. I cannot subscribe to that notion. I really don't believe it. Um, yes, um, there will be roles and positions that don't have um, a future. right? So, for instance, we talked about computers in the very beginning. Um, the term, when it was first used, was not for machines. It was for people calculating stuff. No one is... Sad that we don't have people any longer who sit at a desk all day calculating numbers and calling themselves computers. Right. So I, I, I really believe that, um yes, there will be tremendous change. Yes, a lot of jobs will go away, but it will just mean that we can transition to more valuable jobs, because one thing is very clear. People will not just need a number or like a process to work. People will always want to have like the experience, right? And they always will want to engage and they will want help. So I think we're just shifting from things that, that can be automated and thereby by definition are not as interesting to things that are more complicated, more personal, more emotional. And I I I think it's it's more of a question how to... Go about the change and how to make the transition easier but i i i cannot support this ludist the luddite kind of mentality oh they're taking away our jobs no they're doing all this stuff that is repetitive and stupid and we want to rather switch to um work that's more interesting and more personal like product discovery whatever you want to call it like that there's so many other jobs that will we will have in the future
0: yeah, the way I think about it is like, uh, you know, a very interesting book like Blue Ocean Strategy. You have Red Ocean and Blue Ocean, and in Blue Ocean is where you're going to expand the market. This essentially is going to expand the market and has been expanding the market and allow people to do more meaningful work as opposed to, you know, like repetitive and, you know, uh, some dumb work that they, that they just keep doing it just because.
1: Absolutely. I fullheartedly agree.
0: So what what are some of the trends and technologies that you're most excited about, you know, in general and in the specific context as a a head of uh, innovation for like sales and martech domain, if you can uh, shed Mm -hmm. some light on that?
1: Sure. Um, So I'm so there's two domains that really fascinate me right now. Right. So the one is about um, how to come up with better structures and how to make change easier for people, like the people component of our businesses. There's a quip that I quite like. Um, It goes something like we have the empathy of cavemen, the institution from the middle ages and the technology of gods. (laughs) And so my experience, well, it's not mine, but I stole it. Uh, Well, I guess. Uh, No, but the thing is, I, I have been in this position, right? I have worked with, with customers who really were like really excited about getting the latest and greatest technology into their pipeline. And in the end, it failed because the the organizational setup couldn't support it. Um, and I do believe that we already have tremendous innovation and technology, but we haven't kept up with um, the institutions and how to communicate change on a very personal and, and and human level. Right. So one of the two things that I'm really interested in is like how to help change um, and how to go about doing it smartly and with technology. Um, That's one of the things I think will have big impact or it can be a huge uh, lever for, for, for innovation because I mean, just on the side note, right. even, Harvard Business Review, well, they conducted a study and they said like of all the innovation projects, the single most important factor for success is the human component, right? So bringing everybody on board and helping them with the phase transition from one to the other system. And then the other thing is that I'm, and this goes in the direction of what I'm currently working on and my team is business processes as a service. So I firmly believe that maybe the biggest potential value unlock that we still have um, is to modularize and standardize our businesses, right? Um, and to create an abstraction layer that fully abstracts infrastructure concerns and other things from the, the, the real value chain that a business is trying to create. And I'm very excited about. Taking meaningful steps towards that direction, right? So maybe an intuition pump for that, because it's 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 a it's a tough topic, right? Um, to to communicate. So um, think of business processes that they need an innovation, just like home pages needed an innovation. Like twenty years ago, if you br- if you were browsing and you were going to one of the big sites. There was a computer in the basement, and if too many people at the same time uh, wanted to, uh, you know, hit that site, it would go down. There was no personalization. There was no contextualization. Um, It was just, you know, a couple of, I don't know, vignettes that would inform you about stuff. Today, we have changed most of those homepages into something that's personalized, contextualized to the background or your needs. It's something that's abstracted by hyperscalers to um, work almost like without any concerns for the infrastructure, for the people who are implementing it. And more importantly, like it used to be something where you said, like, please don't touch it, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. today, like every homepage runs concurrent A-B tests, right? And constantly evolves and innovates. I feel like the business processes now think of an ERP system or how you conduct your business it's very much still in the old paradigm of oh my god we set it up please don't touch it right and I would love to see us or the industry in, as a whole go towards a point where um, business processes are personalized contextualized they're abstracted from infrastructure and instead of you know being mortally afraid of touching your system being able to co- constantly run very easily a b-test or whatever you want to call it because you are evolving your business you're not creating something that's you know cemented over time and and but rather something that um yeah just like evolution like becomes better so the human part of innovation and change and the great unlock that is behind business processes and the modularization of the industry to unlock this emergent behavior of one plus one equals three and all these kind of things. So those are the two things I'm most excited about.
0: Very cool. So just, you know, if, if I can understand that, like business is almost acting like a different jigsaw puzzle or Lego blocks where you can replace one block with another block and you don't have to worry about if it's going to break the whole leg or not.
1: Exactly. Like, let me, let me give you maybe a concrete example. Does a business really care what kind of fulfillment service they implement? I don't think so. I think that a business cares about the KPIs, like the costs attached to that service, the SLAs and the, you know, the level of uh, of the service um, and like how easily it's implemented. Like if you like, I think there's parts of your value chain that you want to own where you have A strategic mode where you have a competitive innovative advantage that's really your core business but then there's tons of parts of the business where you actually don't care like who is really like driving it you just want to make sure it works and you can get the right fit for yourself if you think of it, right now all of our industry seems to go to a fully integrated stack, right? So Apple is a good example. They control the hardware on every on every uh, level, all the way to added services like now banking or whatnot, right? Or, or media, um, and I think that's one perfectly plausible scenario of us going forward. But if you look at where really like Radical innovation has happened. It's more where we had um, completely modularized options. Like, for instance, the the mobile phone sphere was revolutionized by ARM because they said, well, we're not even building your chips. We're just giving you all the components and the building blocks so you can do it. And I, I would very much hope that we, as a business, well, the industry as a whole goes towards m- m- modular setups so we can foster innovation. And have emergent effects.
0: Got it. That's that's a very very fascinating and very interesting thought and f- food for the weekend for me to think about. So v- with that, you know, Lucas, thank you so much. Thanks for being on our show. I really enjoyed having our conversation. Maybe we can do in future some kind of follow-on, double-clicking on some of these other aspects. But uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Have a great weekend.
1: Thank you for having me, and um, I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and
0: share these insights with your peers.